0: So this session will cover uh, the primary, the Christ does two primary things. The Christ raises the dead and he establishes the kingdom. These are the two primary aspects of what the Messiah does and therefore they're the two kind of pillars of what the gospel is. And so whenever you get discussion on the gospel uh, in the New Testament, it always involves the resurrection. And the kingdom, and uh, whenever you get uh, discussion on uh, the hope of the day of the Lord, it's it generally always involves in the Old Testament uh, some aspect of that. So we're gonna just work through the theme of the resurrection in the first session, and the theme of the kingdom in the second session. So what? uh, So what you end up with? when you plug in the uh, biblical language into the immaterial material bit is is that you get the language of resurrection, but it's an immaterialized resurrection. And uh, resurrection actually equals the uh, eternal existence of the soul in a disembodied state. And, uh, where am I at? Okay, so, I'm confused. Uh, And so, uh, this is uh, point one, the Greek immaterial resurrection. So you had the Greek immaterial Christ that was disembodied, whose goal was to Uh, free people from the enslavement of materiality and take them to the Pleroma. Um, And then, so it is that uh, immaterial resurrection that uh, that is the goal, again, what the Christ attains for us. And so 2 Timothy 2, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already take place, taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. And so, there's different commentary on what they, what Paul is meaning, and but generally, people just uh, assume that he's talking about the uh, Gnostic heresy that they're dealing with in the church at that time. That says the spiritual resurrection has take place, taken place. With uh, the attainment of special knowledge, gnosis, by which you are freed from the body and and uh, and taken up, uh, and so, but what happens is that actually destroys the faith of people because you're saved into a faith, and uh, like uh, Romans eight redemption of our bodies, in this hope you are saved, or or, uh, Romans 10, this is the faith we're proclaiming, that Jesus is the Lord, and that God raised Him from the dead, and if you believe this and confess it, you too will be saved, if you believe the truth of it, so you're actually saved into a faith, so when you destroy that, uh, when you pervert that, you destroy people's faith. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Which is what the Gnostics were uh, uh, doing. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God, ignorant of of the resurrection and the return of Jesus. And I say this to your shame, and so you had uh, groups that were saying there is no resurrection or the resurrection had already happened and perverting people's faith because that's the point is, you know, the the... Um, Tim and Emily do do uh, do races in their home with their kids of a obedience race and uh, and a sharing race and different races and then they have the hour of judgment in the evening and the point is is there's an evaluation at the end of the day that girds their kids into making good decisions to receive praise and honor. Uh, and uh, and blessing from their parents. And so that's, that's the whole point of the Lord speaking the message of the kingdom to human beings and the message of the day of the Lord is to gird them and keep them on a narrow path so that they won't be destroyed with the wicked. And so when you pervert the day of the Lord and you make that into an immaterialized day of the Lord, um, it's kind of like it it loses a lot of the bite and a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of the empowering nature to resist wickedness and sin and also when you make it into a spiritualized resurrection a spiritualized hope it's like floating on a cloud in an endless sing-along service is great and all but it, it doesn't It's not really something you can grab hold of and and, uh, give your life to. And so it ends up leading people to uh, casting off restraint from self-control and indulgence and and doing things that are destructive. So uh, I just put a quote in here by N.T. Wright on uh, the centrality of the resurrection in the early church. Uh, The early Christians hold firmly to a two-step belief about the future, first death and whatever lies immediately beyond, secondly, a new bodily existence and a newly remade world. Within early Christianity, there's virtually no spectrum of belief about life beyond death, whereas the early Christians were drawn from many strands of Judaism and from widely differing backgrounds from paganism and hence from circles that must have held very different beliefs about life beyond death they all modified that belief to focus on one central point in the spectrum we have plenty of evidence of debates about all sorts of things and virtually uh, unanimity on res and the virtual unanimity on resurrection stands out only in the late second century a good 150 years after the time of Jesus do we have do we find people using the word the word resurrection to be something quite different from what it is? Uh, from what is meant in Judaism and early Christianity, namely a spiritual existence in in the present leading to a disembodied hope in the future. A spiritual experience in the present leading to a disembodied hope in the future. And so this is, uh, you know, people always ask what what happened with the perversion of the church in the 2nd and 3rd century and why why did the church die? It's because you had a a radical reorientation of the sum total of reality and then what redemptive history was in context of that and a loss of the hope in the coming Messiah, a loss in the hope in the resurrection, the overcoming of death, a loss in the righteous kingdom established upon the earth and the wicked punished. So for almost all of the first two centuries, resurrection in the traditional sense holds not just center stage but the whole stage. And uh, I wouldn't say the whole stage, but uh, uh, the Christ holds the whole stage, and, and the resurrection and the kingdom are uh, the two aspects of the day of the Lord and uh, the day of Christ. To the biblical survey of the resurrection hope. So you have the genesis of the hope of the resurrection in Genesis and the very act of God blessing Adam and Eve and uh, and uh, in what he had called very good, and what he had established. Um, so Genesis three, this is uh, the like we talked about a little bit, the the uh, cursing of the ground and committing of man to return to the dust. The assumption is is that the blessing of man would bring him out of the dust. Um, Genesis 12, so this is the context that Abraham sees his blessing. And the blessing of God is that, uh, which we, we uh, uh, referred to briefly last session, that it is a restoration of the original favor that God bestowed upon Adam and Eve. And now man has fallen out of that favor, but God will restore that favor upon man And uh, as it was, so Galatians 3, the scripture foresaw that he would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit and the resurrection because it's the Spirit that raises us from the dead. Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so everybody's following Jesus around. The great crowds are following from uh, from the different cities. And Jesus goes up on a mountainside and begins to speak to the crowds. And because the expectation is that you're the Messiah, you're the one who's uh, going to come and, and uh and fix everything and so he begins to expound that if you want to be blessed by my father then and blessed by me in the coming kingdom and and the day of the Lord then this is the kind of person that uh, will be blessed the poor in spirit which is clearly talking about money that because Luke uh, 6 makes that clear that it's it's, uh, it refers to the poor monetarily and so Matthew qualifies that, that it's not that, because poor people can be very greedy, it's, it's the issue of in spirit, in your spirit you are not uh, greedy, and uh, you steward and don't own. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, or they will inherit the coming kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth, etc., etc., Romans 4, and to the one who does not work but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sin. And so you might say, well, that's, that's hard to see the resurrection in that, but that's exactly the point. Is the what are the assumptions behind the language, and what does blessing mean? You know, God blesses us. Does it just mean riches, honor, and long life? You know, why why would it mean why would it mean that and not mean the resurrection? Like there's there's nothing inherently in that that except the context that gives you meaning for uh, that word, and so. Uh, So Paul isn't at all tweaking Psalm 32. Rather, he's just saying, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered at the day of the Lord. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him when he stands before God. And in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave all my uh, guilt. Therefore, let everyone who's godly pray to you while you may be found before the day of the Lord and confess their sin and not have hidden iniquity." Um, Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance in the day of the Lord. So it's, uh, it's, it's not just kind of like God's my refuge and 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 helps me along through my days until I go to heaven. It's I mean, these, this is how he views everything as in light of the day of the Lord because they saw. The day of the Lord is imminent. Adam and Eve saw saw the Messiah, and the day of the Lord is imminent. Enoch saw it. Noah saw it. It's not like we're the first generation that really believes the Lord is going to return. It's uh, it's the spirit of the righteous that puts their hope in the Lord and longs for His appearing that that a lot of times generates that it's a spirit of faith. Um, Revelation 22, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they might have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. But outside of the city, in the lake of Gehenna, are the evildoers, the dogs, those who practice sorcery and witchcraft, etc., Uh, resurrection hope and the prophets so I just put Psalm 16 in here I put the whole psalm in here just to give you kind of feel and context since this one's quoted twice uh, in in Acts 2 and then Acts 13 and again you know uh, Peter and then Paul aren't quoting this strangely out of context And, and the psalms I mean really like you could you could do like 40 pages of notes just copying in the psalms it's it's I mean, you just read through the psalms and the whole thing if you read it in light of the day of the lord and that david is writing these things as an expression of his faith and even prophesying concerning the day of the lord they're they're staggering but i'm just going to do psalm 16 and with a grid you can start working through them and it becomes simple and clear it's like I mean, you just start with Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of, of the Lord, and, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree at the day of the Lord. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. And so you get the same language in Revelation 22. Whatever he does prospers, not so the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous in the age to come after the judgment when the wicked are swept away. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous until then, but the way of the wicked will perish. And a lot of people don't put uh, any delineation, uh, argue that there shouldn't be a break between Psalm 1 and 2. Uh, but whatever, but it there's you, you could argue that the first three Psalms really are an introduction to the whole book and they flow as one line of thought. But anyway, so Psalm 16, keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge and from the wrath to come. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord, apart from you, I have no good thing. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance at the day of the Lord and the resurrection. I've set the Lord always before me. Because He's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Which you get the rejoicing, in, uh, which we'll see a theme here in a second. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy ones see de- decay. Because... David's faith really was in this seed that was going to come forth from him, and his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom, and the Lord would establish it. And so it's, it's, he's, he's simply just expressing his faith that I'll be raised from the dead, and the, the Holy One that the Lord has promised uh, will not see decay. You have made known to me the path of life unto the resurrection. You will fill me with joy in your presence at at the coming of the Lord with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So, um, let's just start plowing through Isaiah. So on this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. The sheet that covers all the nations, the mountain being the Isaiah 24 mountain, when the Lord, when the earth shakes and reels like a drunkard, and the Lord uh, gathers together the powers in the heavens and on the earth and leads them into a dungeon. And then on Mount Zion, and before his elders in Jerusalem, he will reign gloriously. And so 25, 26, 27 are all on that day, on this mountain, it's all in context to Isaiah 24. So Isaiah 25, on this mountain, He will destroy, we'll just go a verse earlier, no we won't. So on this mountain, we will destroy. He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord, the sovereign Lord, will wipe away the tears from all faces. He'll remove the disgrace of His people from all the earth. And that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in Him and He saved us. This is the Lord we trusted, in and let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. So Isaiah 26, as a woman with child and about to give birth rise and cries out in her pain, so were we in your presence, O Lord. We were with child, we ride in pain, but we gave birth to the wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth, we have not given birth to the people of the world, but your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning, the earth will give birth to her dead as the dew condensates and comes up from the ground. So will the righteous come out of the ground and uh, and shout for joy and the earth will give birth to its dead. And so you'll see this theme over and over in rejoicing in salvation because what causes sadness and suffering? Or what causes sadness? Suffering, right? So generally are the causes of sadness in the human condition are issues of brokenness, suffering, oppression, etc., etc. So salvation is always tagged with rejoicing and joy in the salvation of God when He destroys the things that cause sadness to human beings. And so you'll always get the two tied together and uh, and the, you get a theme of common understanding. So like Isaiah 35, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come, He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, He will come to save you, then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf deaf unstopped, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue uh, of the mute sing for joy in the resurrection when our bodies are transformed and no longer uh, does does death reign and a highway will be there it'll be called the highway of the way of holiness the unclean will not journey on it on the day of retribution but only the redeemed will walk there and the ransomed of the lord will return they'll enter zion with singing jerusalem there those are Interchangeable. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads because they'll have an everlasting resurrection, inheritance. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. It's the sign of holy laughter. So, Isaiah 55 Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You have no money, come and buy and eat, right? are You know, you know, all these are quoted. Okay, and so this one's quoted in, in uh, Revelation 22. "'Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live, that your soul might receive its salvation in a body that does not die and cause its sorrow. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David.' as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. So he gives a picture of this is what the day of the Lord, uh, when the everlasting covenant is made with the descendant of David, it will be like when water comes down and makes the earth bud and flourish in the resurrection will come out of the ground with life and... Etc. So is my word that goes out from my mouth; it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Okay. So this is some of the this is this is somewhere the imagery and the language of. All creation is groaning for the revelation of the sons of, of God and they're longing for the freedom from its bondage to decay. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord's on me because he, the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all those who mourn. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance at the day of the vengeance of our God. So they will inherit a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them." And then Isaiah 65, Behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will will be heard in it no more, which you get in Revelation 21. And so the, Revelation, the, the epistles, the New Testament, the epistles of Revelation, they quote from all of these passages and the point, they're not reinterpreting any of these passages. They're simply giving commentary on them and reaffirming that we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And even more so when they quote, you know, when they quote from different passages like Revelation seven, and you get multiple quoting from different places. The point is not that they're changing the meaning of those; is that they're simply interpreting those passages as all pointing to the same day. So. Um, so if you just do just if you do a study on rejoicing and the day of the Lord and rejoicing in salvation literally you'll get like four times as many as I've shown you here especially if you work through the Psalms it's just it's ridiculous. So this is the context that you get a lot of the language in the New Testament in reference to the hope of the resurrection. So for for example 1 Peter 1 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because before it was a hope, but it wasn't a living hope because there wasn't actually any man who had come up out of the dirt. And so now there's actually a man, a son of Adam, that has come up out of the dirt, and he's actually living. And so now we have the hope made more secure and certain. And and in, uh, in his resurrection and so he's given us uh, birth new birth and living hope and into an inheritance that can never uh, perish spoil or fade in reference to our resurrection our resurrected body like uh, like Paul says in uh, in second Corinthians where he says um, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen in this age, temporally, not metaphysically, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen lasts forever forever after the day of the Lord, is eternal. Now, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building or a tent from God, an eternal house in the heavens, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Um, we groan in our burden not because, because we do not wish to be unclothed, uh, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And so... Um, and so that's the idea is that God has for us a reward in the age to come in the resurrection that he keeps with himself in heaven a dwelling for us that at the resurrection we receive the glory of a new resurrected body and a life on earth as it was meant to be uh, in the beginning so we have an inheritance that can never uh, perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So you get some of the Psalms language of, you are my shield, you are my refuge, that you keep me until the day of vengeance and the day of the Lord, and, uh, and you will uh, bring to completion what you've started. So in this in this, you greatly rejoice in your hope for a resurrected body, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Though if you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so this is the one the First Peter... Uh, one is the one place where you get the saving souls language. There's nowhere else that you get that except a couple places that your soul may live and this kind of, but the saving souls, and this is like foundational for the kind of heavenly destiny, saving souls idea. But that's not what he's talking about at all. The salvation of your soul happens when your soul receives a body that is not messed up and it doesn't have wicked desires, and it's not a, a, uh, a body of death, members of iniquity, or what, however Paul works through that. And so, First um, Peter 4, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed." If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory uh, and God rests on you. Philippians 3, our citizenships in heaven, we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord. Dear friends, stand firm in your hope in of, of reward uh, at the day of the Lord and your belief that, that God will actually do this. Um, dear friends, whose names are in the book of life. And uh, I kind of put a dot, dot, dot there, but the idea is the same. The book of life, though, the book of life is the book of the resurrection, which God will open on the day of the Lord. And if your name's in the book of life, and you trusted in the cross for your righteousness, you'll receive a resurrected body in accordance with how you walked out that faith in the Christ, in, in uh, good works, and produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And so the book of life, the book of the resurrection, rejoice in the Lord always in light of your name being written. Don't rejoice because the demons you know, are driven out and fear, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Uh, I say it. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And so, when when it was one of those strange little nuts that the Lord just opened up to Tim and I um, uh, last year when they were staying with us for a couple months and. So in the evenings, we started singing, uh, our families, when we do devotions, we started singing, This is the Day. And uh, I always, because I I wasn't raised in the church, and so the the hokey stuff really (laughs) tweaks me, and so I never really cared for that song. But we started singing that song in light of its context of Psalm 118. And the kids, I mean, our kids were like going off the wall. It was just like... And it was awesome. And it wasn't just because it was kind of an upbeat song. I mean, the Spirit of the Lord was was on it. And so we... And we'd give context. And so you ask our kids now, we sing that song, what day are we talking about? Jesus returns! And so, Psalm 118, uh, Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give thanks... I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation." The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in your eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. And so you, it, this was the coronation song psalm that they would read at the coronation of the the kings in in uh, in, in that tradition because and that's why they. Say they sang and said that song when Jesus was coming in because they were declaring Him the uh, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. It's the Lord's day. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Um, so Romans 5, "...therefore since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ." through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace that we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in light of the mercy of God in our helplessness and our situation and receiving mercy and the righteousness of the of the cross, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is just running through my mind. It's it, the 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 what causes rejoicing and love in the human heart because it's so funny that it's backward logic that it's like in marriage that if you really want your marriage to be awesome and wonderful and whatever whatever you don't you don't strive for awesome and wonderfulness in marriage you point yourself and set yourself to service and self-sacrifice and love. And out of that, when love and self-sacrifice is expressed in truth of heart, when, 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 when my wife receives a touch that I really am serving her and I really do love her and I'm sacrificing myself for her and that's expressed to her, her love and her heart for me is overwhelming and just like... I mean you know if anyway and and so it's the same way with the Lord where we our hearts don't come alive by striving and pressing after an awesome life in God our hearts come alive like Jesus said with the Pharisee with Simon the Pharisee and he comes in and 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 Simon's like if he was a prophet he'd know that she's just she's wicked and evil and and Jesus says hey, you you, you haven 't done any who who who's who expresses more love the one who has a small debt forgiven or the one with a great debt forgiven uh, the guy with the great debt, his heart comes alive to his master in light of the mercy expressed by the master, and so likewise you haven 't washed my feet or anything, but she hasn 't done anything but wept and washed my feet with her hair this whole time because he was forgiven much, loves much, and so when you have a focus on the love of God expressed in the mercy of Christ and the cross, that is the that is the place where your heart, you, you, the Holy Spirit testifies to it. It touches our hearts, and our hearts come alive in gratefulness and devotion to God and love and life in our inner man. And so this is what Paul is is saying. He's saying. We've been justified in our great wickedness and we have been made righteous though we don't deserve it and we're wicked to the uttermost and we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus at the cross. Through Him we've gained access into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the glory of God. And He's forgiven us such great debt and given us an inheritance that is... uh, Beyond no man has, no eye is seen, no ear is heard. Um, uh, so then Paul and Colossians one, which we, uh, which we covered a, a little bit, but it's it 's a little bit different he, The emphasis now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards in regard to christ 's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, which we'll get to in a second, that the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing our resurrection into glory in the age to come. And so uh, we rejoice in the suffering now because we know that we're being renewed inwardly by the Holy Spirit unto our resurrection. We proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ and in the resurrection. James 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And the testing of the faith happens when... It doesn't go our way and the wicked prosper and the righteous don't prosper and it's difficult and it hurts, etc. But the Lord uses that to test our faith that God is faithful to creation, that He will make a distinction between the wicked and the righteous, that He will reward us for our perseverance and our faith and our love and our sacrifice. Um, And so... uh, It develops perseverance. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life and blessing from God. These promise to all those who love him. Hebrews 12, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The author and perfecter of uh, of our faith and our faith being in the resurrection. And so he authored and perfected it. Uh, who, is f- "...who for the joy set before Him and His resurrection endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Him, consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, for you have not yet uh, whatever to the point of shedding blood and martyrdom." and so uh, Which is what He endured. So uh, resurrection is the anchor of faith. This is just that's uh, you know, just more resurrection passages. That is the word of faith. We're proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Again, it's not the kind of spiritual personal Lord idea. The point is is that you confess that Jesus is the Messiah and Lord of heaven and earth, the one that God has appointed, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. At the day of the Lord, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile in the resurrection. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him in the resurrection. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, Colossians 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And so we'll we'll hit this a little bit later tonight on the nature of prophetic language and uh, figurative language that's used as an expression of faith because obviously we haven't been raised with Christ and we haven't died with Christ but we've committed ourselves in faith that we embrace his the cross unto death and we embrace the resurrection to be united with him in those things and so we speak of them in the past tense all right so uh, 1 Corinthians 15, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, we will be changed, the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, the mortal with immortality, death is swallowed up victory. And you guys are probably familiar with 1 Thessalonians 4 and, and 1 Corinthians 15. But the point is, is that these aren't, you know, when most people talk about the resurrection, usually at funeral services, they quote 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 as though that were the whole of the doctrine of the resurrection, and then they say it in such a way that there's not any connection with this person in the casket coming out of the ground in glory, and it's so it's just like, <laughs> and everybody just sits there, and it's just like, what in the world? And so, oh, what my our sons, we, uh, my wife's grandmother just passed away, who we were really close with uh, Gigi, and, and she, she probably, I mean, she came up and spent, like, a week with us at a time, probably five or six times a year, so we were, our kids were really close to her, and, uh, and so she had a massive stroke, uh, a few weeks ago and passed away, uh, in, in a, in a matter of, of hours, and so it was real sudden, she was in really good health, and, and so it was really intense and tragic, and, uh, but uh, we really, we, you know, uh, Lydia and I and her parents, and we really worked through with the boys, you know, what happened to Gigi and how that happened. And so this last time when we went down to visit Lydia's parents and we drive into the driveway and there's Gigi's car sitting there and Samuel, my younger one, goes, Oh, look, Gigi's here. And, and Benjamin goes, No. Gigi died, and Samuel goes, oh, yeah, but she won't die forever. She's going to have a new body, and she'll live forever. And Benjamin went, yep, and then they got out of the car, and they were just, like, happy, and I was like, how beautiful is that, that that is how a three- and a five-year-old can deal with the issue of death, that it is sad that she's not here, but she's going to have a new body. She's going to live forever, and we'll be with her forever. And it's not like, that, that's a solid hope. The float on a cloud with Gigi in heaven forever on the eternal sing-along, that is not something that really, you know what I'm saying? You, you, you see what I'm, it's not something that you can endure intense suffering and persecution like Nazi Germany or a global Nazi Germany type scenario that's coming, which is what they were expecting uh, in the New Testament. And we too. So, um, all right, Jesus as the firstborn of the resurrection. So we kind of already hit on this, but the point of what was so radical about Jesus' resurrection is that He was the firstborn among many brothers. And so it was, you know, the, the idea of the resurrection of the dead is crazy in our day in our context. But we're, I mean, we're all human beings. This is the fate of, this is the context of all human beings historically. And so it wasn't, I mean, it was kind of like you had all these promises that the prophets had prophesied for the restoration of all things. But now the Messiah has come and he was killed for three days and God raised him from the dead in glory. And he appeared to like 500 people I mean, it's like, it's going to happen. I mean, it creates boldness in the soul when you actually believe that the man was raised from the dead. How much more if he appears to you in his resurrected body? And so this is the, uh, the idea that he was the firstborn and he was the firstfruits of the resurrection of the righteous. And so uh, the Holy Spirit and the resurrection... Miracles as signs of the resurrection, and uh so this is maybe a simple point for some or a radical point for others um but on this strange road unto uh, the restoration of all things, the lord it's and really I mean you can uh. You can refer to anything as uh, in, in where God reveals Himself to human beings as a miracle in the kindness of the Lord and a sign of what will happen on the day of the Lord. But, uh, but anyway, the, the point of the activity of the Holy Spirit, like Hebrews 2, this salvation, which was first announced by our Lord in His resurrection, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. It's not to angels that He subjected the world to come, etc. And so the gifts of the Holy Spirit are signs, and so you got, you, know, you got a road that you're going on down to the New Jerusalem, and you're coming along, and there is a sign there, and that's the point: is New Jerusalem. And the point is, is that the gifts of God through the Holy Spirit to to, to the righteous are meant to keep their faith alive and keep them on that narrow path of self-control and restraint and faith, and uh, not giving up and and uh, just living for this age and so the, what is why it's important to relate to them that way is because within uh, uh, you know uh, activity of the Holy Spirit within the escapist kind of focus there's not really usually a, fo- a focus on the Holy Spirit um, other than it really does demonstrate that God is real and you know we need to get right with him so that we can get our ticket stamped. And so, but a lot of times this kind of the escapist uh, message and the uh, soul salvation bit doesn't, isn't emphasized, the activity of the Holy Spirit isn't emphasized along with it because there's not a lot of uh, real connect. It's within the uh, kind of dominionist, emphasis that you usually in those circles you get the activity of the holy spirit interpreted as the kingdom itself and as the dominion of god being established and why this is so devastating again is because you end up interpreting the sign as the kingdom which is, which completely ruins the point of the sign and the intention behind the sign the intention is is that come to the new Jerusalem a hundred miles then you keep on your trek up there you know what I mean and it's meant to strengthen you and embolden you and you know and and uh, and this is what you know the gift of prophecy gift of healing gift of faith all of these things are designed to strengthen our faith in the resurrection and uh, I keep thinking of uh, a couple of years ago I was really in kind of a a desperate place and and was in, in a, a really intense kind of depressive swirl and uh, I randomly I was in the prayer room and a guy came over and was like hey or you know you want to get prophesied over I hadn't been in a in a prophecy room for probably a, well a, a, quite a few months at that point and so I was like yeah sure so I walk in I'm sitting there and I'm like all right give me riches honor." Glory, long life, and uh, and all of a sudden, this dude goes, John. The Lord says, "You're like Josiah. You found the who found the book of the law in the temple. It's an old message. No, it's a, it's an old book, but a new message. It's an old book, but a new message. The Lord has given you an old, uh, a an old." Uh, revelation but it's a new message to the church and he you know kind of went on into all of the issues that i was completely depressed about and i was just like you walk out of there and it it was just like the ministry of the holy spirit uh to to keep me from wallowing in a funk and so likewise this is the this is the point that we you know we have a, a whatever it is, a sickness or an issue or a weakness or whatever's happening, and we received a gift from God in a various form of the Holy Spirit, and we go, that is that is what God is going to do at the day of the Lord. He's going to turn our mourning into dancing and rejoicing. He's going to heal the sick and and uh, raise the lame, etc. Uh Hebrews 4 describes uh, those who have shared in the heavenly gift, the Holy Spirit, uh, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. And so, um, and so there, there is truth that the Holy Spirit really is something of the resurrection, but it's all in how you interpret the activity of the Holy Spirit. So the analogy I use is like an allowance. Okay, a father gives an allowance to his son, and that allowance really is something of the substance of the inheritance to come. But to confuse the inheritance with the allowance and to call the allowance the inheritance completely spoils the whole purpose for giving the allowance. The allowance is given and taken and negotiated unto keeping the son in. In a lifestyle of self-restraint and hope unto his inheritance in the estate and business or whatever, and so to confuse the two and get the relationship behind the two is uh, it's it's devastating uh, to the faith. So, uh, Mark 16, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they'll cast out demons. Why? Because when Jesus comes, what's he going to do with the powers in the heaven? going to bind them up like the strong man and throw them into the abyss and so um, they 'll cast out demons they 'll speak in new tongues because i mean we 're in we 're in the American Empire, so everybody speaks English right so we don 't really have to deal with it but if you 're in their day, the issue of languages when there 's such a multiplicity of them, and everything is complicated and made difficult by language it 's a it 's a very the Tower of Babel is a very real and intense uh, uh, thing to be overcome at the day of the Lord and reversed. They'll pick up serpents with their hands. They'll drink any deadly poison. It won't hurt them because you know we we don't have that many wild things around. We have a very domesticated landscape. But uh, but in a agri- an agrarian uh, culture and lifestyle, those things are are uh, they're not just uh, minor things. Whatever. And so. Uh, Uh, They'll lay their hands on the sick. They'll recover because in the day of the Lord uh, we'll recover in the resurrection. They went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message with accompanying signs. Jesus answered and said to him, Go and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. So he just goes right down and quotes Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61 as... Listen, if, I, it's, if I'm doing these things right now, I'm doing them to prove to you that I am the Messiah and that I will do it in fullness uh, when my day comes. Um, page 7, Matthew 12, He brought to Him a demon-possessed man. Jesus healed him. The people were astonished and said, Could this be the Son of David that God has uh, anointed? John 6, so they gathered uh, up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, the sign of there will be no more famine on the earth because the earth will be will blossom and, and give bloom. The desert will spew forth with water and become like the Garden of Eden, etc. They said, this indeed is the prophet who's come in the world. And then they tried to make him king by force. And uh, 1 Corinthians 2, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed the testimony about God. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith, and that's that's the important part, is your faith in the resurrection is confirmed by the Spirit's power. Because when you're in the pit of despair, then you can look to a day when I had this and God miraculously broke in when I was on the verge of bankruptcy and therefore I know he will always be with me to the very end of the age and he and I will inherit the earth and the wealth of the nations I was at this point physically whatever and God healed me and regenerated my body and he will keep me in this way by the power of His Spirit and shield me unto the day of the Lord and raise my body up. That our faith in the day of the Lord and the age to come is established on the power of the Spirit and the, the, the activity of God. And his point in all of this, his ultimate point, is ultimately that he directed people to God and the Spirit and not himself. Because this is the whole context of 1 Corinthians 1 through 4. Is that you have all of these false people who are discipling men unto themselves and causing all of this controversy? I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. I follow uh, I follow Christ. He says, was I baptized for any of you, etc., etc.? And his, his point in saying this is, I came to you, and I preached Christ crucified, and I led people unto you. And then he goes into 1 Corinthians 3 and goes on the whole bit, you're still just like the world. You say you follow men, but you're the planting of God. I planted the seed, Apollo watered it, but you're discipled unto the Lord. You are the house of God. I established a foundation in the day of the Lord. Apollos, he built on that foundation. But the day of the Lord will reveal each man's work. And on that day, me and Apollos might escape as through the flames, but you will be thrown into a lake of fire and be consumed because you're following men and you're not following the Lord. You are the Lord's temple. You are the house of God. Woe to the man who destroys God's temple by writing his own name across a group of believers and getting and discipling men unto himself, rather than discipling men unto the Lord and the day of the Lord. And I just keep thinking, like when Tim is is was uh, was in his Muslim context, and so I should phrase it since it's on video, and. Uh, and the, the the guy who had come to the Lord would come to him with questions about what do I do here? What do I do here? And Tim would, just, he would give him a couple scriptures and say, go to the Lord, read this and ask the Lord what to do. And that's the point of what Paul is saying. I didn't come to you with wise and persuasive speech like these guys who are like ravenous wolves who are drawing men after themselves and discipling men under themselves with their great wisdom and their great, you know, whatever, whatever. I disciple you unto the Lord and point you the Holy Spirit, that His word would be confirmed to you directly, and not that you wouldn't follow me. So that's the anyway. People kind of um, okay. More, okay. Move on. Sorry. Second Peter one. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We heard the voice from the majestic glory that gave honor to us, saying, we said, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. And then he picks up in verse 18, we heard this voice, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with Him on the sacred mountain, referring to the Mount of Transfiguration. And so he says, look, we saw a sign of the resurrection before he was resurrected. We saw a sign of it when his when he was transfigured, his face shone like the sun, his clothes brilliant white, etc., etc. We saw that and because of that, we have the word of the prophets made more certain and you will do well to you to pay attention to the word of the prophets about the day of the Lord, which the transfiguration confirmed that the, the resurrection is actually going to happen, like a light shining in a in a dark place until the day dawns, the day of the Lord which ushers in the uh, the light of the age to come. Uh, Ephesians, okay, the Holy Spirit is the positive of the resurrection. So this is how they viewed the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit... Uh, Um, uh, was the mechanism by which the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters the Lord gave the command and the Holy Spirit made it happen and so the Holy Spirit God gathered up the dust and breathed the Spirit of God into him he became a living being and so this is the understanding that the Spirit of God is what animates and gives life to creation as he sustains that thing and so Romans eight, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit, who dwells in you. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Oh, I left out the the uh, the most one well, of the more important. So. Uh, dot dot dot. For we did not receive a spirit that makes us slave again to fear, but we received a slave again to fear of our condemnation on the day of the Lord. But we received the spirit of sonship as a deposit, as an assurance of our salvation. Because the assurance of not, of salvation is not your belief and your resolve to believe in a particular doctrine about the cross. It's not, and it's not in a and in a in a a uh, whatever whatever I can't remember the different things that are viewed as the as assurances of salvation. Your assurance of salvation is that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, witness to the cross, and you have peace with God in your inner man, and you've been filled with the Spirit as a sign of your being raised from the dead. And so it was the filling with the Holy Spirit that was the assurance that you would be raised from the dead. And so we've received the spirit of adoption and sonship that we cry, Abba, Father. And because He's given us His spirit, we know that we will receive our adoption and it will be finalized and we'll be birthed and raised from the dead and our bodies will be redeemed, etc. And so the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If we're God's children, then we're heirs and co-heirs, etc. etc. Um, for the creation we, uh, waits with eager longing for the revealing the sons of God. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have a down payment of the Spirit that that makes us believe what that we groan inwardly and wait eagerly for our adoption as adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Ephesians one, uh, in context to the whole discussion of the administration of, of uh, God over the heavens and the earth and the restoration of all things under the headship of Christ that we've been called into, Ephesians 1.11, the next verse, "...in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance of the resurrection, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory." 2 Corinthians 5, which we talked about, we long for our heavenly building, our heavenly body, etc. Not that we want to be unclothed, but we want to be further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Um and then Second Corinthians one for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, meaning all of the, the, uh, uh, all of that which has been prophesied since the beginning of the world about the day of the Lord is yes. It's reaffirmed in Christ and His re- resurrection. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And so we are witnesses of Christ and His resurrection and we're witnesses to the day of the Lord and we speak Amen to what God has done unto the glory of God. Um, And He says, uh, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ and our faith in the day of the Lord. He anoints us he anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come in the glory of God. Page 8 the Holy Spirit testifies to Christ crucified. Uh, Acts 1.10, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He's the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about Him that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Because that was the point, is the Holy Spirit was confirming the message of the cross unto the judgment of the living and the dead, and they would receive uh, mercy from God in context to that. And so the Holy Spirit uh, uh, confirms that. And so skip down to 1 Corinthians 1 there. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power." For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it's the power of God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear with much trembling. My message and preaching were not, were not with wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So I came to you. I told you about Jesus and His suffering before His glory, His crucifixion, that the Messiah was crucified to put your hope for righteousness, to put your hope for being raised from the dead in Him. And you believe me and God confirm the message in your life individually and therefore you became a plant of His and a building of His and a disciple of His. And so, but his point is, is that the Holy Spirit, the cross, is the power of God, and that's what the Holy Spirit testifies to, because it's through the cross that the Holy Spirit is poured out in power at the day of the Lord. We're raised up in the resurrection because of the cross. We're raised up in power, and therefore the Holy Spirit confirms that with the deposit of the Holy Spirit, the message of the cross unto the resurrection. So, uh, Acts 14, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas uh, went as usual into the Jewish synagogue and they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. So, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. And so, it's just striking me. uh, Who asked me? Acts 15 tabernacle of David. So this is the context of Acts 15 in which from Acts 10 where he's preaching uh, about uh, the judgment of the day of the Lord and the Holy Spirit comes on them. And so in Acts 15 that's the point is that the Gentiles receive the Spirit and the deposit guaranteeing because up until that point it was clear he was the God of Israel. And if you wanted to be raised and take part in the resurrection, then you had to become a Jew and you had to get circumcised. You had to go through the whole proselyte process, etc., etc. But now these guys, who have not become proselytes and not become Jews, they just receive the Holy Spirit. And it's a guarantee they're going to be raised from the dead when Jesus returns. So what do you do about this? Do you make them get circumcised? Do you do the whole proselyte thing with them? Like what? I don't understand. And so Acts 15, that's what they gather together to talk through. And Peter gets up and says, uh, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that He accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as He did to us. He made no distinction between us and and them. He purified their hearts by faith, etc., etc., Um, And then uh, Paul and Barnabas get up and tell about the miraculous signs and wonders among the Gentiles. Then James gets up, he says, Brothers, listen to me, Simon described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. They're in agreement, not fulfillment, totally different words. Totally different. Agreement, not fulfillment. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it's written, After this, I'll return and rebuild David's fallen tent, his his kingdom, referring to his kingdom. Its ruins I'll rebuild, I'll restore it, that the remnant of men after the day of the Lord may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things they have been known for ages. It's my judgment, therefore that we should make not make it difficult for the Gentiles to return to God since clearly the prophets the Gentiles receive the deposit guaranteeing their resurrection the prophets say that when God restores the kingdom to Israel there's going to be Gentiles that bear the name of the Lord and are raised up in glory so why are we forcing them to get circumcised etc etc and 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 do all of this uh, so um, Oh, Ephesians 1, in love He he predestined us to be adopted as His sons. And so this is the idea of predestination per Romans 8 where you get the whole bit of the Spirit that intercedes within us and He works all things together for those who love Him in the resurrection and He's predestined those, etc. What's He say? I. Uh, I don't memorize Scripture very well. I just kind of memorize the idea. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also, be, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so He works all things together for those who love Him by giving us the deposit of the Holy Spirit that He predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, the firstborn among the dead when we're raised from the dead like Jesus was. You get the idea? So Ephesians 1 in love He predestined us to be adopted as sons by giving us, sealing us with the uh, deposit of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. The grace of the Holy Spirit now as a deposit of the grace to be given to us when He's revealed in in the resurrection. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He's lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, and He's made known to us the mystery of His will, the administration of His household. He will bring all things together under the headship of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? I just love God for that. Holy Spirit leads believers to crucifixion. (laughs) So this is the fun part, that it's granted to us that the Holy Spirit confirms and inwardly renews us unto our eternal weight of glory in the age to come. But it's also granted for us that the Holy Spirit leads us into crucifixion. And because of various strongholds and 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 uh, doctrines that are not true, we cannot hear the Holy Spirit lead us into crucifixion, and we resist the Holy Spirit that leads us into suffering and persecution. And the reason we don't have the testimony of like Second Corinthians. Uh, Eleven, in which he's, he's arguing for his right as a true apostle and these guys are false apostles because look at their lives God doesn't lead them to the cross the Holy Spirit doesn't lead them to the cross the Holy Spirit leads them to money and power now which they gladly take from you and they gladly receive from you but I would rather die than receive money from you and so he says, look at the fruit. The Holy Spirit leads me into, uh, into all of the bits, you know, the prison, the flogging, the explosions to death, the forty lashes, the beating the stone, the shipwreck, the open sea, the rivers, the bandits, countrymen, etc., etc., etc. And so, that's my point in that? My point is, Acts 20, I only know that in every city, because the brothers were begging him not to go to Jerusalem, but the Lord had spoken it to him by the Spirit. I only know that in every city, Paul replies to them, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace." And so John 15, remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also but this is to fulfill what's written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, He will testify about me, and you must also testify about me, Christ crucified, for you have been with me from the beginning. All of this I've told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you in, put you out of the synagogue and persecute you, etc., etc., just like they did me." And so, um, okay, I'm just going to finish there. And uh, I just want to give you a framework for hearing the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit leads you not only unto the glory, and you've received a deposit of the Holy Spirit unto the glory, But you receive the Holy Spirit to lead you unto suffering, and which ultimately results in greater glory if you do it out of love and truth. And so, um, and I just want to emphasize because I received the Holy Spirit when I surrendered my life to God, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. My sanity was instantly given to me. I, I was literally, I had lost, broken with reality for about three months and i was filled with the spirit and i came into a small campus ministry where the gifts of the spirit really all of them except tongues were they just they just flourished and it was it was the 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 it was heavenly destiny but the cross was centerpiece and exalted and it was a community and it was what really sparked my heart to surrender my life to God because God was slowly crushing me into the ground and my mind was was coming more and more unfrayed. And I kept, kept running into this guy and he was talking about this group of people and these friends and these guys he was moving into with and how he would die for these guys. He loved them so much. And when you deal drugs and you're in that whole, you know, you don't deal with the people above you, you don't deal with the people below you because it's not... It's not them that you, it's four people down the line that you get narked on. And so it's just a whole paranoid world. And you only hang out with people on the same level as you that you don't have mutual contacts for say So it's a very strange little world. And I didn't trust anybody as far as I could throw them. Here's a guy talking about he would like die for these people. And I came into this group and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this was the culture. I mean, it wasn't like, it was just assumed. The, yeah, I mean, we don't have anything else to live for. I mean, it was the age to come. It was Heavenly Destiny. There was a lot of confusion all around in that. But everybody's living for the age to come because it's easy for college students to not live for this age, right? They don't have anything to lose. And so we're all radical living for the age to come. And it was all, you know, we don't have anything else to live for. So of course I'm going to lay down my life for you because I love you and whatever. And it was just, it was assumed. Nobody had to say it. It was assumed within the culture. And it was a culture that exalted the cross and sought to to uh, to live that out. And in that context, the Holy Spirit did miracles all the time. I mean, there was just all you know, people getting healed and words of knowledge and just common working of of that. But it was all in context that simply reaffirmed the cross and our destiny that God was real and He was going to. Take us out of all of this mess, but and so that's why like it. There's not all of the later on. I came into all of the other circles that the Holy Spirit is uh, is prostituted for, but but so you don't have to associate. The Holy Spirit really is is it's not just tongues. It's the whole gamut of gifts that are given to you to strengthen your hope in the age to come, and He's glad to give them to you. You say, I don't know if all of this is real. You go to God, you ask God with the Scriptures, and the Lord will confirm it to you by the Holy Spirit. And He will do in your context, whatever context you're in, He will confirm that you are His child. And He will raise you from the dead. And He died for you. And you will appear before Him in glory. And He will give you the Holy Spirit to the degree that you ask Him and seek Him. So Lord, we ask You for the Holy Spirit. We love You. We thank You that You loved us so much that You gave Your only Son. And not only that, You've lavished Your grace upon us and the Holy Spirit. And so we just ask You that this room, that You would strengthen us in Your return, Jesus. We love Your appearing. And we look forward to it. In the name of Jesus, amen.